Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Far Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify and Starship Sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 186. I'm your host, Nicola seaton Clark. And we're going to close out 2017 with a bit of adventure and intrigue from the pen of Michael Remar, titled Avarice. Michael Remar has matured. He no longer writes witty bios with clever puns. He stopped comparing his two daughters to pets, especially after the cease and desist order. He sees nothing funny about writing science fiction, fantasy and horror, although many of his stories might be considered humorous and purposefully humorous, not this-is-so-bad-it's-funny kind of humorous. As proof, his story, A Bunny Hug for Carl, was nominated for the 2014 Prix Aurora for the best in Canadian science fiction and fantasy. He is an associate publisher of Bundoran Press and co-editor of their anthology Second Contacts, which was awarded the 2016 Aurora for best related work. He has also co-edited Lazarus Risen, nominated for the 2017 Aurora for Best Related Work. Mike has been published in Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, Writers of the Future, Eleven, and On Spec, all serious publications despite having the occasional humorous story. If you want to learn more about Mike, visit MikeRemar.com. Seriously. His story is read for us by Christopher Heron. Growing up, everyone told Chris that he couldn't read books for a living. It simply wasn't a real job. Always one to have the last laugh, however, he decided to start down the long road of becoming a professional narrator. To help him on his way, he created the YouTube channel Tall Tale TV, where he hones his skills by narrating several short stories each week for authors looking to collaborate. He can be found at talltaletv.com, Facebook and Twitter. And now... Avarice. Shadow blocked the glare of Utum's twin sons. Salim looked up at the source, a man dressed in robes, pale as bleached bone. Offerings for the poor? Salim kept his tone weak and pitiful, offering his wicker basket to the stranger. 
I have more than offerings for you, my young friend. The stranger crouched down to look at Salim, face to face. Eyes, green as palm fronds, regarded him with benevolence. Strands of ebony hair poked from beneath a spotless turban. Salim tensed. Anyone who called himself friend usually wasn't. Yet he didn't run. Anyone foolish enough to run in the heat brought attention. And in the city, attention equaled guilt. Have I offended you in some manner, Isha? He hoped to flatter the stranger by using the formal address. Isha. The man flashed great white teeth and looked about as if to see no one overheard. You may call me Hendari, and I am told I should talk to you. Salim's eyebrows rose a fraction. Hendari, the god of prosperity. Only the wealthy and powerful were so bold to name their children after gods. What would a great man need of a child beggar? Is this part of the bartering? Hendari's green eyes glistened with mirth. You are less a child and more than a beggar. I know who it is I need, and that is you. That doesn't entirely answer my question. A soft chuckle, deep and masculine. Salim wished to have such a voice should he grow so old. I need someone removed. A beautiful smile crossed Hendari's face. Salim blinked. Removed? He saw the danger lurking behind Hendari's kind face. A rivulet of sweat trickled down his bare chest. Murder. Run, his mind screamed. Get away before it's too late. But here was work, and few coins filled his basket. Beggars of all ages now lined what was once his wall that bordered the marketplace. Many of them were former merchants, masons, and horse herders, and their children. They all wore the expressions of the lost and forlorn, unable to cope with the cruel twist fate bestowed them. The city economy rose and fell like the sun and the moon, but the extent of the latest low frightened him. With luck, the tides would soon return to prosperity. Until then, he needed to eat. I'm just a boy, Ish... Uh, Hendari. What do I know of such evil deeds? Boy? I have no doubt you have seen more than most men do their entire lives. With experience comes knowledge. I am in need of both. Hendari fixed him with another toothy smile. Salim feigned contemplation. This Hendari played the game well. Did it matter? Hunger churned in his stomach. He had better finish with the bartering before its growling forced him to lose his price. Y your words humble me. Still, what you ask is beyond my abilities. However, I may know those able to do the task. Well then, if you could point me in the right direction, I will leave you. I'm afraid it isn't that easy. They only speak through me. I speak and negotiate for them. I see. Very good. You have heard of Mohammed ben Sinar? Salim struggled to remain calm. Forgive me. The heat of the sun has affected my hearing. Did you say Ben Sinar? You know of him. I do. He had expected some petty criminal or seducer of Hindari's wife. Mohammed Ben Sinar was one of the city's main usurers. Even the shrewdest merchants were indebted to him. Salim silently cursed himself. His greed and hunger had trapped him. How could he turn the man down? 
Hendari would never allow him to live with this knowledge. Only a ridiculous price might get him out of this with honor, and his life. Uh, my friends will require much gold. Cost is not a question. His hopes evaporated like water in the noon sun. Here, take this. Hendari placed something in Salim's grimy palm. His heart fluttered. Two gold emperor crowns glinted in the sunlight. A year's worth of begging might gain him half as much. Dirty fingers closed around the coins before anyone saw what he held. Consider that a finder's fee. Hendari straightened to his full height. When you are finished, name your price, and I will pay it. Salim's eyes narrowed. How do I know you will? It is a large city, but not that large. A few well-placed words, and my life would soon be forfeit, as would yours should you choose to be less than honest in our contract. Hendari's tone was casual, as if he were talking of the weather. Salim thought of the fortune in his fist. It promised riches he couldn't ignore. What has Bensinar done to offend you? He looked up into empty space. Hendari had disappeared into the throng of buyers and sellers. Salim rose from his place along the wall, picked up his basket, and made his way into the crowds. Twisting and turning, he wound deeper into the city. He saw yet another shop boarded up. More beggars for the street, more competition. The shop had belonged to a baker. Often Salim had stolen bread from him. His stomach gurgled at the memory. He entered a long alley between a tanner and a blacksmith. He'd chosen this alley carefully. The rotting fat scraped from animal skins did not mix well with the heat of the smithy's forges. On some days, even he had to fight the occasional wretch. Moving an old crate to block his actions from the street, he used an iron bar he had stolen from the smithy to pry open a sewer grate. He retrieved a small chest and tossed in the gold crowns along with his basket. His dagger lay among the jumble of coins. He took this, and after some thought, a coin to buy food. Salim left the alley and headed down the street, his thoughts turning to Hendari. Who was he? He always tried to note the city's influential citizens. It was good business practice. However, he had never heard of this man named after the god of prosperity. He snorted at the foolishness of the man's parents. Salim had little use for gods of any sort, learning from an early age their true nature. When the priests of Nar had taken him as an orphan, he saw where donations truly went, into the pockets of the temple priests. One night, a priest had entered his room, expecting repayment for the god of charity's generosity. He had escaped after a quick kick between the man's legs. Left with few career options, begging offered the best and safest course of action. Danger still abounded, and he did what was necessary to defend his meager earnings. Some called him Mother Crocodile, as he protected his horde, much like the reptile protected her young. Salim! A girlish voice called out, and he grimaced. Osset hurried from the opposite direction, waving happily. Silent curses filled his head as he watched the waif make her way through the crowd. Oset had also chosen the way of the beggar to other possibilities, and was the closest thing to a friend he had. However, he didn't want her company now. Salim, what are you doing here? 
Her bright smile contrasted with her filthy shift. Stop shouting, Salim hushed. Not everyone has to know my name. Oh, you're too modest. Everyone knows Mother Crocodile. She playfully punched his arm. Salim scowled, but couldn't fend off her infectious good humor. Have you eaten? Does it matter? I'm always hungry. She patted her flat stomach and giggled. Dark hair flowed over her thin shoulders in haphazard curls. What would her hair be like, washed with sweet-scented soaps? Come on. He led her through the crowd toward a vendor charitable to the youngest beggars of the city. They ate their meal of bread and cheese in a shaded alcove. Why aren't you at the beggar's wall, she said. Salim bit into his cheese. He knew no killers. He alone would kill Ben Sinar. There was no need to involve Osette. Why taint what little was left of her innocence? Well, she persisted, it's the heat. The heat never bothered you before. What are you doing here? He hoped to change topics. Her smile withered. My rat, Futhi, died. Oh, I'm sorry, Osette. How? It wasn't from hunger. I fed him well enough, but he'd been acting funny lately, sleeping all the time. Maybe he was sick, but I thought he was just old. Who can say with rats? You'll find another pet. There are plenty vermin seeking a generous patron such as yourself. She smiled weakly, and Salim surprised himself by putting his arm around her shoulder. Odd, comforting her over a dead rat, but it had been the only thing that gave her joy in life. She settled into him, and her body trembled. He held her close as she cried. Her warm breath brushed his bare chest. Long hair tickled his skin. His loins stirred, and he immediately disengaged from her. Osette looked at him in confusion. Then, for some reason, glanced down. When she looked at him again, her tanned face had turned darker, but her deep brown eyes didn't waver. Without a chance to react, she leaned over and kissed him on the lips. Salim's eyes opened wide, his palms instantly clammy. Her bluntness astonished him. Yet he leaned over, feeling a rush of anticipation. She placed a firm hand on his chest. Not yet, she breathed, husky and low. No one had ever spoken to him of such things. Sex was frequent in the streets between men and women alike. But notions like love were rare. Osette had been his friend since a time he hadn't the scent of her hair, of the curve of her hips, or the beauty of her eyes. But now he had felt the warmth of her lips. The relationship would never be the same. Never again could he look upon her as the slender young girl who ran to him in the streets. She left him with little choice. He could walk away without ever seeing her again. Or, as if in a dream, he reached over and held her in his arms. The sun had set, and with it came cool night air. The darkness, however, could not conceal the rotund Mohammed ben Sinar. A thin, wispy mustache drooped nearly to his waist. He wore enough red silk to cover Osette ten times over. Two large men with hard faces flanked the usurer, their sheathed scimitars plainly visible. Salim hugged the shadows, his small knife clenched in a sweaty hand. Hendari would pay a high price, enough for both him and Osette to live a real life, like normal people, away from the city. The bodyguards hadn't been a complete surprise. 
but he had hoped Bensinar might be alone. It could have been so easy. Who would suspect a beggar boy to be an assassin? He stepped out into the street and watched the three men march away from the house. His chance would come. Even the great Mohammed Bensinar must heed the call of nature. Salim! The familiar call made him wince. Earlier, he had taken Osette to her home, an overcrowded shack on the far side of the city. Spinning around, he clamped his hand over Osette's mouth and flicked a glance at the men. They hadn't heard, and he exhaled in relief. What are you doing here? he hissed at her. Her face blanched, and he willed himself to relax. He removed his hand and repeated his question. I followed you, she said. That much is obvious. Why? You're keeping secrets from me, Salim. We should have no secrets between us. Unless, she faltered, there is another. There is no other, but you cannot know what I'm doing. He turned back. His quarry was quickly disappearing. Osset followed his gaze. What's so important about those men? Salim's brow furrowed. Should he tell her? She was a beggar like himself, and no stranger to the ways of the street. Would she think less of him if he told her the truth? His concern of her feelings took him by surprise. Still, she was right. They should have no secrets. He grabbed her hand and hurried down the street before he lost sight of Ben Sinar and his bodyguards. I'm going to kill one of them. Once a decision was made, the words came easily. What? She tried to stand still, but he yanked on her arm, propelling her onward. Will you be quiet? Listen, another man wants this one dead. I don't know why, but he's willing to pay very well. Enough for me. He stopped and grabbed Osette by the shoulders, looking her full in the face. Enough for us to leave this city, buy a house or a farm or whatever. Live the way people are supposed to. But to have all those things, I must do this first. But to kill a man? I wouldn't want any of those things at the price of a life. Salim shook his head. He'd made a mistake in confiding with her. She would never allow him to kill Ben Sinar. Who is this man you must kill? Mohammed Ben Sinar. Do you sure? Yes. Oh. Osset's brown eyes narrowed to cat-like slits. In them he saw a hatred he'd never seen before. I know him, she said. We'll do it together. No, it's too dangerous. Her desire to help outweighed his curiosity and her change of heart. Salim, it's our future this man holds. If you were to die, then my life would end the next day by my own hand. If we are to die, I would have it we die together. But he felt unworthy, faced with the evidence of her love. Could he ever return it? She swept past him and hurried down the street. They're getting away, she said. Whatever her reasons, he knew nothing would change her mind now. He chased after her, shaking his head in exasperation. They followed Benzinar to a warehouse. Slats of light shone through shattered windows. The upper floor remained dark. Beside the warehouse stood another building, decrepit and abandoned. It had once been a hostel, but now served no better purpose than kindling. The fat man entered the warehouse. His bodyguards remained by the entrance. From a distance, Salim and Osset circled the building, searching for another entrance. They found one on the opposite side, but it also had armed men standing guard. Salim pulled Osset into the shadows and pointed up. The roof, he said. 
The hostel was near and high enough. They crept in, trying to peer through the enveloping darkness. Places like this were home to thieves and beggars. Though he had nothing of any value except his knife, no one knew this but him. He grabbed Osette's hand firmly and moved forward. Who's there? A voice called out in the night. Salim froze. He could feel Osette's grip tighten. Mother Crocodile, I'm looking for a place to rest for the night. You cannot stay here. A small flame danced in the night, stopping at the tip of a candle stub. By the dim light, Salim saw people filling almost every inch of the floor space. More beggars in one room than he had ever seen. The man who lit the candle spoke again. I think you should go look somewhere else. Salim recognized the baker who had closed his shop earlier in the day. Around him huddled his family, a wife and two young girls. Salim looked into eyes frightened and unsure of a future Salim knew only too well. I'll look upstairs if you don't mind, Salim said. If you wish, but watch your step. You might break someone's leg. Salim nodded. He found the stairs easily by the candlelight. The ceiling above was holed in several places, allowing pale moonlight to illuminate the upper floor. Men, women, and children crowded the hallways, the air heavy with the stench of unwashed bodies. They stepped carefully among the sea of legs and arms, making their way to another set of stairs. Salim climbed the top. A small door barred his way to the roof. The bolt lock rusted beyond moving. He pushed on it, and after a moment, the rotted wood gave way. The trapdoor swung open, and Salim inhaled the fresh night air. He then led Osette carefully onto the roof. The area looked unstable, and he was afraid to move lest he fell through. To the right loomed the warehouse, a gap the size of two grown men separating the buildings. Too far to jump, Osette commented. Salim scanned the roof, found what he needed, and pulled out his dagger. He pried up a length of board from the roof, ignoring the curses and insults from below. Osette helped him to stand the narrow board on its end near the building's edge. Salim held his breath and pushed the board forward, hoping it would reach the other side. The opposite end hit the warehouse roof with a loud thunk and bounced. Salim grasped his side of the board to keep it steady. Once the wood had settled, he peered over the edge to the alley below. A guard entered the gap between the buildings, his hand on the grip of his scimitar. A dog barked, and the guard shouted a curse. Satisfied, he returned to his post. Salim let out a long rush of air, then adjusted the board. Would the wood hold his weight? I'll go first, he whispered. When I get across, you come. Whatever you do, don't look down. Osette nodded, and Salim could tell she was trying to be brave. Look, you don't have to cross. You can wait here. I'll be okay. Salim smiled and turned towards his makeshift bridge. His own courage was rapidly evaporating, and he knelt onto the board before he completely lost his resolve. The wood bowed and bounced as he neared the center. He kept his eyes on the warehouse roof and inched forward. The board groaned from his weight, but he didn't stop. If he did, he would freeze in place until the board broke or the guards found him. And then he was across. He wiped the sweat from his forehead and motioned for Osette. Pride swelled within him as she climbed on the board without hesitation. You're doing good, he whispered. Keep your eyes on me. 
Her slight frame barely affected the bridge, and she crossed with little effort. When she was finally across, he held out his hand, and she gripped it with surprising strength. She planted both feet on the warehouse roof and flung her arms around him. He hugged her back. It's okay. We made it. <laughs> we leave by the front door, she said. Salim nodded his head vigorously. They searched the roof for a way into the warehouse. Osset waved, and he hurried over to a trap door similar to that of the hostel. A quick pull confirmed his fear. Locked! He inspected the area and found the wood nearly rotted. Together they yanked on the door till it tore free of the lock. Licking his lips, Salim descended a ladder into a dark room, Osset following. Muted voices floated through the air like ghosts in conversation. A heady mixture of strange scents filled his senses. Crates of all sizes surrounded them. Taking Osset's hand, he led her through the darkness to a stairway leading down. The conversation was clearer now, and Salim stopped to listen. Enough of this idle chatter, Mohammed, said an unfamiliar voice. Have you brought your offering? Have you brought yours? Salim recognized the voice of the portly usurer. Why do we play these games each time we meet? This is no way for disciples to act with one another. Salim frowned. He did know the other voice, but he couldn't put a face to it. I must get closer. We are not disciples just yet. First, we must make the final offerings, said Ben Sinar. Perhaps he will make us his first high priests, or even more. I am thinking immortality. The stranger answered with a harsh chortle. Salim threw Oset a questioning glance. What was this about high priests and immortality? Stay here, he whispered. Hugging the shadows, he placed his foot on the first step, then the other, until he cleared the floor. He sucked in air at the sight before him. Ensconced torches illuminated open chests filled with silver coins and colorful gemstones. Bolts of silk and other rare fabrics were piled without any sense of organization. The aromas of spice and perfume filled the air. In the midst of the chaotic riches knelt Ben Sinar. Before him was a white marble statue of a thin, frail man sitting cross-legged, holding a small dish. A beggar. Ben Sinar upended a small pouch, and gold coins clattered onto the stone dish. Beside the usurer, another man dressed in fine robes was bent at the knee. Salim's mouth opened in stunned amazement as he placed a face to the unknown voice. Ali Shakram, Ben Sinar's chief rival, emptied a purse filled with gold coins onto the beggar's dish. Rumor was, Shakram and Ben Sinar were bitter enemies. What were they doing together in this warehouse filled with inconceivable wealth, making offerings to a statue of a beggar? Before he could ponder the questions farther, a motion caught his attention, causing his blood to go cold. The coins on the dish melted, pulled together, then disappeared as if absorbed by the stone. You have done well, my children. The statue spoke through lips that didn't move. Soon I will be complete. Soon, said Ben Sinar. We have given you all that we have, Quatim. How much more do you need? I need what I need, said Quatim. Do not falter now. We have come too far. I think we have gone far enough. Ben Sinar lurched to his feet. 
And what of your immortality? said the statue. Bensonar licked his fat lips. You can grant this. Once I am complete, said Quatim, I will grant you all you could possibly desire. Now Chakram had gained his feet, standing between Bensonar and the beggar idol. Let him go, my lord. I have enough wealth for your needs. A beefy hand pushed him away. I knew you would betray me, said Bensonar. It was only a matter of time. Stop this bickering, said Quatim. I need you both. Only together will we succeed. Quatim speaks the truth, said Chakram, his hand resting on the dagger at his belt. We can call in more debts, foreclose on more buildings. We can do it. Yes, I suppose. Then Sinar eyed the other usurer suspiciously, and then pointed. I warn you, if you betray me... He spun on his heel and stormed from the warehouse. Chakram watched his rival leave. He then reached out to the statue and brushed the smooth white surface with his fingertips before leaving by a rear door. Salim moved down the stairs and nearly shouted out when he felt a warm hand on his shoulder. He turned to look at Osset's wide eyes. Don't, she said. Ben Sinar is getting away, said Salim. I might yet have a chance. No, said Osset and took his face in her hands. I will not allow you to do this. Not for us. He tried to shake his head, but found her grasp too appealing. Listen to me, she continued. My mother was a servant of Ben Sinar. He accused her of theft and had her arrested. She died in the prisons. When you said you had intended to kill him, my heart had filled with revenge. His death won't bring my mother back, but it might take you away from me. I would have died on the streets if I hadn't met you. You saved my life, and now I want to save yours. Salim gently took her hands in his and kissed her fingertips. Follow me, he said, and led her down the stairs. Gods be praised, said Osset, her eyes shining with greed. Salim, we can finally leave, start a new life where no one will ever find us. Salim jammed his hand into a nearby chest. So much wealth for a beggar statue, he thought, as he picked up a fistful of silver coins, letting them filter through his fingertips. This is the Yashura's doing, he said. They have driven the city's people into poverty to make their offerings to a... a god. God? said Oset. What god? Our god. Salim jolted as though hit by lightning. Ben Sinar stood in the doorway of the warehouse. The small chest he held appeared to rest on his ample belly. Salim cursed. The usurer hadn't left, but went to get more offerings for Quatim. Ben Sinar huffed at the sight of Salim and Oset, and his mustaches billowed like gossamer. Some rats after my golden cheese, I see. He dropped the chest onto the ground. Grunting, he turned and bolted the door closed. When he turned back, he held a dagger in his pudgy hand. I tell you what, boy. You leave the girl with me, and I'll let you live. Oset sucked in air. Pig, she said. Pig, is it? Ben Sinar waddled toward them. Very well. You both can die. With his left hand, Salim pulled Oset closer to him. With the other, he flashed his own dagger. Stay back, 
he said, hating the cracked squelch of his voice. The rats have teeth, Ben Sinar said. By now he had made it to the opposite side of the warehouse. Salim swore at his own stupidity. He took two steps forward, but the fat Yushur was already at the other door and bolted that one shut too. A fine trap now, he wheezed. Now tell me, what are you doing here? Who sent you? Salim licked his lips. Hendari, he said, hoping the name might give him some sort of power over the man, or at least put him off balance. Bensinar frowned. Never heard of him. He moved closer, and his beady eyes narrowed. Enough lies, boy. Tell me the truth, now. It was Shokrim, was it not? I knew he couldn't let all these riches alone. Do you hear that, Quatim? You have been betrayed. I am the loyal one. Who is he talking to? whispered Oset. His god, said Salim, nodding towards Quatim. Oset frowned. The statue? Trust me, said Salim. That is more than a statue. It lives, and it has a name. Quatim. It spoke to Bensinar and Chakram, promising them things only a god could fulfill. And now that Shokram has revealed his true nature, said Ben Sinar, all the power shall go to me. Is that not right, my lord? Quatim remained silent. Why do you not answer me? Ben Sinar stood before Quatim, seeming to lose interest in Salim and Oset. Salim pulled Oset away from the corpulent usurer, nearly tripping over bolts of silk carelessly tossed about the treasure chests and artworks. He had learned much from the two-faced priests of Nar. Foremost, gods were ethereal. They had no need for the material. It was the offering, the worship that they craved. If the chests were any evidence, Quatim had been worshipped a great deal. And the god wanted more. It just didn't make sense. Why would a god need so much worship? And why only riches? Most temples accepted anything from gold to livestock. A piece of copper would make any true beggar happy. But not this beggar god. Looking around, he saw plenty of copper, silver, and gems, but no gold. But that precious metal was reserved for Quatim. They were closer to the door now, further away from Ben Sinar's increasing ravings. Why so much gold? What was the link between the city's beggars, so many filling the streets crammed into abandoned buildings, much like the hostel next door, and their supposed god. Would they worship this deity? Salim's mouth went dry. No, he thought. They wouldn't. But what did it matter? What if gold was not what gave Quatim life? Poverty. More riches gathered meant more poor in the city, more souls from which Quatim could draw his true power. Their misery was his worship. Let's get out of here! Oset placed a delicate hand on his shoulder. Ben Sinar is mad! Salim agreed. He wanted to run from this temple in the guise of a warehouse. Yet would it matter? He had lived most his life with hardship and danger. To be quit of the city and its streets was his greatest desire. If he ran, however, Quatim would become more powerful. More poor would fill the streets, line more beggar walls to keep him strong, until the entire city became one immense slum. Then he would move on, looking to devour more wealth. There's nowhere to hide, said Salim. I have to stop this now. His shoulders slumped, daunted by his own words. Salim, 
We cannot defeat a god. No, he said. No one can kill a god. He moved closer to the statue, white as ivory. He could feel power radiating from the stone. Yes, he thought. It is alive and aware. Ben Sinar furiously thrust gold coins onto Quatum's beggar dish. The gold melted and disappeared as if the statue had sucked the metal into itself. Oset gasped at the sight. Where did the gold go? I'm wondering the same thing, said Salim. Quatum had said it needed more to be complete. A lie. This god would never be complete. It needed gold like food. Like... Salim searched the warehouse floor, his gaze settling on a nearby sconce. Jamming his dagger back into his belt, he rushed towards it. He grabbed the thick metal stand with both hands, whirled and charged at Bensinar, lifting the bar with all his might. He brought it down. Not on the fat usurer, but on the beggar statue. His arms vibrated with the force of his blow, and he readied himself for another strike. A heavy, meaty arm thudded against his head, and he toppled backwards. What are you doing? Mohammed ben Sinar stood over Salim. His face was purple with effort, and sweat rolled along his pale cheeks like rain. But his eyes blazed like a wildfire. He held his dagger out, as if to carve Salim like a roasted fowl. Salim rolled to his right, but ben Sinar stomped on his ankle. He cried out as the fat man leaned his full weight down. Now you die, little rat. Licking his lips, Bensonar leaned forward, his long mustaches brushing the warehouse floor. And then he grunted, and the fire fled from his crazed eyes. Slowly, he leaned to the side, teetering like a fallen tree, before settling onto the warehouse floor in a doughy heap. Oset towered behind the fallen usher, readying the sconce for another strike. I like rats, she said. Then seeing Salim was not dead, she added, And I love crocodiles. Salim grinned back. Testing his wounded ankle, he rose to his feet. He took the sconce from Osette, then impulsively kissed her full on the lips. Smiling at her shocked face, he hobbled to the pale statue and struck it hard with the sconce. Chips of white stone bit his face like insect stings. He struck again and again, until on the fourth swing, Quatum's hand broke free, sending molten gold spurting from the open wound. Blood, Oset whispered. Gold, Salim corrected. It uses gold for blood. The gold was congealing, staunching its own flow. He hit the statue further up the arm till that broke away too. More gold flowed from the stump, but Salim didn't stop there. He attacked the entire idol, chipping away at the stone. When he knocked the head off, he thought he heard a wail of pain on the wind. Finally, he stopped, heaving in great drafts of air. Can we go now? said Osette. No. Salim picked up a chunk of stone. We have to get rid of these pieces. Throw them into the sewers. Throw them as far as we can in all directions. Leave nothing for the usurers to find. I want nothing for them to worship. But, but what about the guards? Salim scowled. Ben Sinar's bodyguards must still be waiting outside. It was a wonder they hadn't come in yet. The doors, of course. They had been bolted closed, and by now they must be used to the unusual goings-on within the warehouse. They had time, but not much. Nowhere near enough. We'll have to do our best. He snatched Quatum's head off the floor.
Starting with this, he said, and little set towards the door from which Ali Shakram had left. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The next day, Salim was at his spot by the beggar's wall. He could barely keep his eyes open. They had managed three trips to the warehouse, spreading the chunks of marble around the city before Ben Sinar regained consciousness and surrounded the warehouse with mercenary guards. Salim knew he should sleep, but missing a day at the wall was two days without food. You've done well, my young friend. Salim was startled to see Hendari standing next to him. Isha, I did not see you approach. If I had, he thought, I would have run. Hendari chuckled, and in his rich, smooth voice said, Are we back to the formalities? Come with me, let us walk. We have much to discuss. Slowly rising, Salim weighed his odds of running from this man, but didn't know where he would go. Quietly, he walked with Hendari through the marketplace and into an unusually empty side street. I thank you, said Hendari. Why? I did not kill Bensinar. Hendari laughed again. I said I wanted someone removed, not killed, and I did not say who. Salim's halt was so sudden he nearly tripped. It was Quatim? But why didn't you take care of him yourself? Expressing helplessness, Hendari shrugged. I could not. There are rules I must follow, and killing another god or his followers is one of them. Salim's eyes grew wide. Hendari was a god, too. Much made sense now. He remembered why the priests of Nar became priests. To become a follower of a god gave them immunity from the other deities. Only unbelievers were subject to a god's wrath. All horse dung. The priests of Nar had used their faith as a weapon and the worship of others to satisfy their own needs. Salim had never witnessed favoritism by one god or another. He believed in nothing and no one but himself. You are less a child and more than a beggar. Hendari's words now came back to him, but with new meaning. I know who it is I need, and that is you. In his vanity, Salim thought his skills were sought, 
But his faithlessness was what Hendari required. Without a god's protection, Salim was free to do as he wished, what Hendari needed. And considering the foul source of Quatim's power, what other gods willingly allowed, had he killed Quatim? Unlikely. But he had destroyed the idol. Already rumors flew about the city of a growing war between Ben Sinar and Chakram, though of what, no one knew for sure. Some believed it was over a woman, and Salim readily fueled that fire when possible. In time, each will destroy the other with Quatim soon forgotten. A god without disciples is nothing. Salim swallowed, knowing his part in this play was not done yet, and wished he had seen Oset one last time before his death. What are you going to do with me now? No answer came. Hendari was gone. Salim nearly collapsed with relief, until a glint of colored sunlight caught his eye. Looking down, he saw a handful of gems lying in the bottom of his basket. Shocked, Salim lost his grip and the basket tumbled to the dirt street. He swore as he fumbled for the precious stones. Thank you, Isha. Thank you. He shook his head in wonder and reached for the basket. His hand stopped midway. Another pile of jewels lay within the wicker. With trembling fingers, Salim tipped the basket over, spilling rubies and emeralds onto the road. By the time he righted the basket, it was again filled. He stared at the stones, unable to comprehend so much wealth, and it was all his. Or was it? Salim looked up and down the side street and thought of the homeless baker and his family crowded in with all the others, downtrodden by the greed of Ben Sinar and Chakram in the derelict hostel from the night before. Ah, he murmured, I understand, Isha. The young beggar held his bull up to the white-robed man striding towards him. A few coins, Isha, he croaked. His eyes grew wide as the stranger dropped a handful of jewels into his bowl. Andari be praised, he exclaimed. Thank you, Isha. Thank you. The man chuckled in a voice rich and full. You're welcome, young friend. Beside his benefactor stood a woman whose beauty surpassed the gemstones he now clutched in his hand. She smiled, filling his heart with joy and promise. The man held a simple wicker basket of his own, which he tucked within the folds of his white robes. Then, taking his woman by the hand, the couple strolled deeper into the city. They walked slowly, seeming to savor not only the sights and sounds of the bazaar, but also each other's company, until they disappeared beyond the boy's sight into the crowd. Sensing he had been blessed, the young man took his treasure and hurried away, tossing his basket as he ran. Well, dear listeners, it certainly has been an interesting year, to put it mildly. And we hope that we have helped you to hang on to a modicum of your sanity, and or laugh so that you don't have to cry. A new year brings new hope for a brighter future. Fingers crossed. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. The team here at the Triple F, myself, your host, our editor, Gary Dowell, and audio engineer extraordinaire, Mark Sanfordino, want to hear your thoughts on our content. You can also leave us a review on iTunes, Acast, and other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership. 
And please also consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the podcasts online for your enjoyment. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like. But you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will never be complete. I'm off to go and start cooking for the great Christmas lunch. I'll see you all next year. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.